Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. The title of the message is Salt and Light. When I was a kid, every few weeks we would go back to the country. We moved to Nashville uh, when I was about three years old, but we always kept a well-beaten path back to the, uh, the country and our country roots. We'd go to Lafayette. Uh, it's not Lafayette. It was Lafayette in Tennessee. <clears throat> We'd go to Lafayette to uh, visit Aunt Lucy and Uncle Benton. Uncle Benton was the sheriff of Macon County. We'd go up there, and we'd go to Gallatin to see Uncle Frank and Aunt Ruby. Uh, Aunt Ruby and Uncle Frank lived off Dobbins Pike, just outside of Gallatin, and they later <clears throat> moved on up to uh, the Pike to uh, a big town called Grabal, Tennessee, and uh, the, the way you spell it is G-R-A-B-A-L-L. Grabal, uh, I believe, had a store. Not sure. Uh, there was <clears throat> a lot that I did not understand about country living, but I found it all fascinating. I could tell you a lot of stories about those days. One thing that intrigued me was a salt block in the barnyard. And these cows would come up and they would lick that salt block just seemingly endlessly. And uh, as a little boy, I, I looked at that thing, you know, thinking I might do the same. Uh, but uh, I never did. <clears throat> I never did do that. I thought about it, though. But they would... They would lick and lick and lick, and I later learned that they did this to help their digestive system, and some say the taste of, of milk. I'm not really sure how they knew when enough was enough, but they seemed to know when enough was enough. Now, I said all that to say this. Uh, there is an ingredient in our lives that the world around us must have. That ingredient is salt, and we are the salt of the earth. The next part of the Sermon of the Mount tells us something of the necessary ingredients of a potent Christian life and testimony. If we're going to be Christians, we would be, uh, should be healthy and productive in our faith. Uh, the Bible talks about people who are saved, yet so as by fire. Uh, the, uh, the three little pigs would say, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Uh, we don't want to be like that. That's not the kind of believer. That's not the kind of Christian we want to be. We want to be believers that make a difference, believers that are salt and, and that are light. And that involves who we are inside and what we show outside. Our text, Matthew 5 and 13. You are the light of the earth. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, how can you make a difference in the lives of people that you encounter every day? A lot of times we come to church and we say, all right, I want to learn something that's going to help me in my life, help me to, to grow in my life, help me to learn something in my life. The question is, how do you make a difference in the lives of other people? We are not just saved or born again for ourselves. We're born again for ministry and for the purpose of others. Do the people who brush elbows with you day in and day out, 
want to know more about how you live your life or how you come to the decisions that you make for yourself and your family? Are people intrigued about who you are and what you stand for and and how you came to the decision of standing for that which you stand? Jesus took those who hear him preach on this important day, tells those who hear him preach on this important day that there is a way to influence others and truly make a difference in this world. And here's what it starts with. It begins with an internal strength. Interesting to me is that Jesus did not suggest that we could be the salt of the earth. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, if, if we are born again, if we're one of God's children, it's not that we can be, it's that we are the salt of the earth. When God was destroying Sodom and Gomorrah for being completely worthless and sinful cities, he allowed Lot and his family to escape. Do you remember that story? And do you remember how Lot and his family escaped and they, they went, and the, the city that they went to was a place called Zoar. In the Hebrew language, that means the city of refuge. And all they had to do was to get into Zoar. There was only one thing they shouldn't do. They shouldn't look back. The only reason that that city had been preserved was because that Lot's family was the saving salt of the city. You'll recall that that God wanted to des- destroy the city earlier, but, but Abraham kept, <clears throat> kept uh, 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 bargaining with God to not destroy it until finally God says, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. The only reason I've saved this city is because of Lot and his family, because of your relatives. We're going to take them out, and then I'm going to destroy that city. They're the only saving salt in that city. Didn't use those words, but that was the reality. And so he <clears throat> sent them to Zoar. And as they went to Zoar, they entered into the city of refuge. And do you remember what Lot's wife did? Lot's wife looked back. And do you remember what happened to Lot's wife? She turned into a pillar of salt. Now, why is that? Why did she turn into a pillar of salt? Why didn't she turn into a bronze statue? Why didn't she turn into a granite statue? Why did she turn to a pillar of salt? Well, I believe that God was reminding us for all time that society needs salt and that we are to be the saving salt of society. Having the opportunity to be the saving salt of the world around us is is quite a responsibility. Where do we get the power to preserve the world around us? Where do we get the, the power to to be that preserving salt? Well, first of all, you have to have a potent inner life. Going back to our text in verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? All of us have been in restaurants that didn't do a good job of protecting the salt. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you turned up the shaker to shake a little salt on your food and nothing came out? because they hadn't protected the salt. And the salt had, had uh, somehow or another gotten, the humidity had gotten to it, and the salt was, was difficult, if not impossible, to be applied. The same issue is true for, for storing salt. The environment has to be exactly right for the salt to be stored. If the environment is not right, 
then the salt will lose its saltiness. It'll lose its, its ability to be applied for the purpose for which it was mined or for which it was made. How do we keep the salt of our lives salty? Well, we must be aware of our environment. Obviously, we must have contact with the world around us, but placing ourselves in such surroundings without a way to keep our potency can make us ineffective. Obviously, the salt that was in the salt shaker was there to be used, but it had to be protected in such a way so that it could be used. So it is with us. It's always the salt around the edges that goes bad. It's not the salt in the middle. Now, the salt in the middle will eventually go bad if it, it continues to camp, contaminate long enough. I think the application is that we apply ourselves to the world around us, but we live in the center of God's will and have our strongest fellowship with God's people so that we don't lose our, our saltiness, so that we don't lose our, our impact. If you want to keep a potent inner life, you have to find a way to stay in the center. The center of God's will is found by those who are in his word, in his house, and in close contact with him through prayer and obedience. The center of God's fellowship is in making and keeping those friends who, like you, are believers and trying to live for God each day. That helps you to stay in the center. It doesn't mean you're not applied to the world. In fact, you stay in the center so you can be applied in the world and make a difference. But you've got to stay in the center, in the center of God's will, in the center of Christian fellowship. You get away from the will of God, and you get away from the fellowship of God's people, and you will definitely find your potency begin to lose its state. Don't you know someone who used to live in the center of God's will, or at least they tried to, and they walked in the fellowship of God's people, but they went through a period of time where that they really no longer were that concerned about being in the center of God's will, and they would no longer really concern themselves about being in God's will? Don't you know someone who, who kind of drifted along the way, and today there seems to be no effectiveness in their Christian walk whatsoever? In fact, it might be hard to tell the difference between them and somebody who has lost. What's happened there? Well, the thing that's happened is that the potency of their inner life has been diminished, and so the, the power of their application has been diminished. If we keep a potent inner life, a close walk with God, a strong connection to the Lord, here's what we find. We find out that through our lives there is a powerful opportunity, a really strong opportunity. I, I want to talk to you for a minute about the idea of being marginalized. To be marginalized is to be relegated to an unimportant powerless position within a group. You may go in and you may think, well, okay, I'm going to make a real impact here, or I have made a real impact, and then after a period of time, you become marginalized. People don't listen to you anymore. People don't respect who you are anymore. Sometimes other people will marginalize you. Sometimes we marginalize ourselves. As parents, we have to be careful because there's a natural tendency for our children as they grow older to marginalize us, to just not really weigh everything with the same degree of importance that they used to. Now, the rest of that story is 
we have to be careful not to marginalize ourselves, not to become that, that voice that, that talks to our, well, I've got those in their 30s, our 30-year-olds, as though they were 13-year-olds. We don't want to marginalize ourselves. To be marginalized is not a good thing. It's, it's not a good feeling. If you're a person who wants to be effective in the lives of other people, it's important that you not marginalize your testimony or compromise your potency. You don't take away your, your ability to speak into the lives of others or to make a difference in the lives of others. If we keep the potency of the salt of our lives, what opportunities do we have? Well, the illustration of salt was not an accidental illustration. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He used something that was well understood in the culture of his day and still understood today. Salt has been salt for as long as it's been salt. And as it is today in biblical times, salt was used for various reasons. First of all, it's obviously used to season food. And as we opened with our illustration, it was used to uh, help stock digest their food. Here's a couple of verses that will give you some application. These are Old Testament verses. Talk about salt. Job 6 and verse 6. Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? I've never had a doctor tell me, now you've got to stop salt. I've never had a doctor say that to me. And my doctor's here today. I hope I never have a doctor say that to me. (laughs) Ever. Never, ever. Nada. Because food is horrible without salt. I just can't stand it. Oh, don't be giving me that stuff. Got a chef down here going, just a little bit of salt. I'll salt it as much as I want to. You salt it, then I'll salt it. You got to have a little salt. Isaiah 30, 24. The oxen and the donkeys that work the ground will eat seasoned, and that means salted fodder, which has been winnowed with the shovel and fork. All of these are illustrations of how salt was used in the Old Testament. There's more. All the meat offerings of Leviticus chapter 2 were seasoned with salt. And to eat salt with someone uh, was to be a partaker in their hospitality. In Numbers 18 and 2 Chronicles 13, there was a covenant of salt. It meant a a covenant of perpetual obligation. Newborn children, according to Ezekiel 16.4, newborn children were rubbed with salt. I I was talking to Commissioner Bronson about this. I, I had lunch with him, I think the day after I had prepared this message, and I said, why would they rub children with salt? And he said, I don't know. And he said, maybe for infection, to keep down infections. Maybe, maybe that was it. It's a very interesting application. Jesus tells the disciples and us that we are like salt, seasoning and, and cleansing and preserving the world around us. The world needs us. Whether it thinks it needs us or not, the world needs us. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Someone who is referred to as the salt of the earth has a a basic yet a powerful presence in society. You and I have a powerful opportunity to make a difference in the lives of those around us and in the world in general. 
we must remember two important things. First of all, get involved with those people who need us so that the salt will have application. But also, stay close to God and close to God's fellowship so that our potency will not be diminished. That helps us to be the salt that we need to be. There's really a powerful opportunities, opportunity for those who are potent in their faith. For believers, there's probably two possible outcomes in regard to us being the salt of the earth. Going back to verse 13, again saying, you are the salt of the earth, Jesus said, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet, under people's feet. When I lived in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, we had one, two, no more than three snows a year. We weren't like those northern cities that had, uh, now Nashville's north of us, but it's not a northern city. <clears throat> and and uh, so we'd have one, two, or, or three snows a year. Those northern cities, they had snows every week. Sometimes they had them every day for a period of time. And, and they had these snow plows that would go out and, and snow plows. So those of you who lived up, up north, snow plows night and day all the time. That's the snow plow. People had snow blowers for their driveways, snow blowers for their sidewalks. That was what it was. We didn't have that in Nashville. What we had were salt trucks. And uh, there, was, there was big piles of salt. And, and the salt trucks would go in and they'd get the salt and they would drive along and they would <clears throat> spread the salt. And the salt really was just to melt and uh, to drive on. That's what it was good for. It was just good for driving on. You, you didn't <clears throat> use that salt, you know, <laughs> it wasn't Morton's. Uh, when it rains, it pours salt. It wasn't that, that kind of salt. It was nasty-looking salt. You didn't cook with it. You didn't salt your food with it. You, you didn't even use it to make homemade ice cream. You, you, you didn't do anything. You, it was just road salt. It wasn't worth anything except to drive on or to walk on on the sidewalk. Now we know what it means to be worth our salt. If you've maintained the the value of your spiritual walk, your seasoning, you have the power to do and to be all of the things that we mentioned. However, if you have become marginalized, your value becomes much less. You become road salt. Is that what you want to be? Is that what you want your spiritual life to resemble? The Bible says, I'm the salt of the earth. I'm going to be road salt. Is that what you wanted? I don't think it's what you wanted. I hope you're a person of inner strength. And if if not, you certainly can be, but there must be a connection to and a closeness with God through Jesus Christ. That connection comes when we are born again, that is, we're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. And to maintain our potency, we must be current and close with God and His people. To be quite honest, this is one of the reasons that you want to be and a fellowship of a good church, a member in good standing and in good fellowship of the local church to maintain your potency. Now, let me <clears throat> say a word here. Because there is, I, I, I was joking earlier about you salt the food and then I'll salt it extra. There is the tendency, there's, there's kind of, there's, there's a third option. 
the, the, the first option is to be what you're supposed to be. The second option is to lose your potency and just be good for nothing to just walk around on. Here's the third option. The third option is to become briny. When you become briny, even people who appreciate salt can't stand you. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of times we mistake being the salt of the earth for being briny. And, and while we, we think that we're making a difference in, in how we present ourselves or, or whatever it may be, all we're really doing is being briny. And people say, I don't want that brininess. You're saying, well, well Pastor, are you suggesting that, that we have some sense of, of compromise? No, I'm suggesting that we not be briny. There are people who cannot be heard because they're too briny. I don't want to be that person. And could I say this to you? I think there have been times that I've been that person. And I think it's possible that you may have been that person. Here's, here's, the, here's the real key is the balance. You have the salt in you to dispense to the world around you as much as it needs. But you have the wisdom of God to not just lay it on so much that it's so briny that nobody else can, can experience it. They spit it out. You've had something that was way too salty and you spit it out. You don't eat the things that are way too, unless it's country ham. You, now, you can't get country ham too salty. That's kind of a, an anomaly. But, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to make an application here, all right? And I want you to take that application. Look at me and make that application in every important area of your life. Everyone. They say you catch a lot more flies with honey than with vinegar. That's probably true. But the subject's not honey and vinegar now. The subject's salt. And the truth is, you make a lot more sense to people around you when you have properly applied the potency of the salt that God has given you. Would y'all nod at me or something and tell me you get what I'm saying? Okay, that's really important because I think there are a lot of people who don't get it. And I don't want to be guilty of leading people in the path of not getting it. We have to get it. That's number one. All right, number two. Our external virtue. Matthew 5 and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's a quick story. Bill was a drunk. Converted at a city mission. And when he was converted, everything changed. Here's who he became. He became the most caring person at the mission. He spent all his time there doing whatever needed to be done. 
There was never anything that he asked, was asked to do that he considered beneath him. He did it all with a great a heart of gratitude. He could be counted on to feed any man who wandered in off the streets and care for his needs, even if he was unable to meet the needs for himself. One evening after the mission director delivered his evangelistic message to the usual crowd of solemn men with drooped heads, one of them came down to the altar and kneeled to pray and crying out to God to make a change in his life. And here's what the drunk kept repeating. Oh God, make me like Bill. Make me like Bill. Make me like Bill. The director came up and put his arm around him. And he said, wouldn't it be better for you to say, God, make me like Jesus? And the man looked at him and he said, is he like Bill? Now see, that's what we want. We want people to want whatever's changed our lives. Whatever the light of the light uh, of, of life that we have within us. That's what it means to let your light shine. Here's what God has given to you. If you're a believer, God has given you the power to shine. If, if you could not shine, you'd not be commanded to shine. You may remember from the earlier verses that we studied that uh, the blessings of being poor in spirit is not to be confused with the handicap of being poor spirited. Someone who is poor spirited will give an excuse for not being able to shine. However, God has told us to shine and he won't ask us to do something that he will not enable us to do. God would never ask you to do something that you can't do. He's God. So, first of all, we have the power to shine. But we should understand the purpose of shining. There's so many benefits of a light that's shining. Of course, the the principal benefit is that it invades the darkness. I've given this illustration before, but but you have two rooms and, and only connected by a door, and they both are in complete and utter darkness. And, and you put a small candle in one room, just a small candle in one room, and the light of that small candle in one room will escape and go all the way to the other room. The darkness of the other room doesn't cover up the candle. The light of the one candle spreads out to the other room. That's who we are. That's what the Bible says that we are. And as such, it makes clear those things that are shadowy and uncertain. We should be that light that clarifies. When a child is frightened in the dark at night, uh, in the dark, a light coming on makes a difference. A light coming on always makes a difference. I have been places where I knew that my only role was to turn the lights on. I I was asked one time to be a candidate at at a church that, that was absolutely tied in knots it was it was just tied in knots and there were so many people just stumbling into one another and and I went to that church I was kind of a fresh voice I was a fresh person there I didn't have any axes to grind I wasn't trying to go to that church they asked me to come and be a candidate and I agreed to do that and so I did. I've only uh, done that really twice in my active ministry. It was that church and this one. And, and my role was not to become the pastor of that church. My role was to turn the lights on. And that's what I did. 
And during the course of being a candidate, I just turned the lights on. And I, I asked things like, did you know? And a light would come on. And have you thought? And a light would come on. And, and later on, people said, did you really want to be the pastor of that church? And I said, well, I want to be what God wants me to be. By the way, all that was long before I ever came here. <laughs> Y'all are trying to figure out, when did he go and candidate at a church? <clears throat> no, no, no. It was long before I came here. People said, did you really want, and, and I, I look, I want to be where God wants me to be, but then I said this, I know what my role was there. My role was just turn the lights on. Sometimes that's what your role is. Your role is just to be the light or turn the light on. Sometimes that's what you're supposed to do. The world needs the light, but we have to know how to shine. We have to understand the process of shining. Jesus said that to be effective, we put the light in the right place. But first, it must be the right light. There's a lot of light. People talk about the lamp of knowledge and the light of freedom and, and other metaphors. But the light that we're talking about is the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. How is Jesus in the world, he's in the world as he is the light of the world in our lives. Now, Jesus is everywhere. God is omnipresent, but he is within the believer, the light of the world. He is the light as we reflect him as the light. And the way that that's done is by keeping our lives in such a way that he can shine through. Can the light of Jesus Christ shine through your life? Are you so ticked off all the time that his light can't shine through you? Or are you so this? Or are you so that? Or are you so eccentric or whatever it may be that the light of Jesus can't shine? Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, let your moderation be known to all men. Do you know what that word moderation means? It means lack of threatening. In other words, don't let anything about you become so... Uh, such a such a a, a a strange way that it threatens the ability of Jesus Christ to be seen in you. I'm, I'm going to tell you that is a hard assignment. the The instruction about about being in the world and being the light of the world is first of all we have to understand where that light comes from. Secondly, we have to make sure that we we're not obstructing the light in fact the the verse says that you just don't you don't take a light and and cover it up you you put a a, a light where it can be seen you don't take and, and what the the verse was actually talking about were the grain pots and they those little modest houses you don't take the the grain pot and turn it over on top of the light where it can't be seen you set it where the light will give light to the whole house now, there's an application here. I gave you the application about being too briny. Let me give you the application about not being too bright, but being too um, intense. Here's what we want to sometimes do. We want to sometimes be that in-your-face light. That doesn't do any good. It doesn't do a bit of good, the in-your-face light. What do you do when you're coming down a two-lane road and somebody's coming at you and they've got their brights on? 
you kind of blink them a little bit, don't you? And say, come on now. I got to use this road. You, you kind of look away because it's too much. We have to understand. We have to understand that in the course of being the light, you've got to be the light of Christ, not this manufactured light that's going to burn your eyeballs out. Somebody, some people think, well, I'm going to be a light. I'm going to be a halogen. <laughs> you don't need to be a halogen. You just need to be the light of Christ. Let me quickly get to the, to the end here. How, how, do you, <clears throat> how do you apply yourself as the light and apply yourself as the salt? Well, that's through effectual living, and with this we're, we're finished. We all want to be effective in our lives. The first thing we ought to do is to retain the salt so that we can share it. Like I said earlier, salt has been used for thousands of years for all kinds of, of needs. What Jesus has done in your life is just what is needed in the life of someone you know. There is somebody you know who needs what Jesus is to you. Just be salt to that person. Just be, just live a potency enough that they might continue to move in the direction. And someday you can say, oh, by the way, this is what seasoned my life. Ronnie and <clears throat> Williams and I are, uh, we're golfing buddies. And, and, and sometimes when we golf on Saturday, we go early and have breakfast. And we have breakfast with a group of guys. And they're not all believers. Um, they, they're, they're, um, they're, it's a variety. It's a variety. And, and we, we sit down with those guys and we're having breakfast. And uh, either Ronnie will pray before we eat or I will pray before we eat. And uh, there's, there's a couple of guys and they'll all stop. You know, one guy said, we, I missed one day and, and uh, uh, I saw the guy out at the first tee and he said, uh, Pastor, you weren't there for the invocation this morning. We, we couldn't turn to anybody. But the truth is, that's just, we're just pouring a little salt on the, on the meal. We're asking God to bless food. We're just pouring a little salt on the meal. And when we pray, we, we don't pray revival prayers. We don't fall out on the table and say, Oh, God of heaven and earth, today we thank you for the sacrifice the, the chicken made. And for what the hog has given to us in this meal. <laughs> we just pray. You, you know, you can pray without being an idiot, don't you? You know that, don't you? I prayed one day. I said, God, thank you for this food, and Lord, help these sinners. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> My one friend looked up. He said, Okay, yeah, we needed that one. I say, yeah, I know you did. <laughs> Look, just uh, retain your salt and, and salt it around. Here, here's the second thing. 
reflect his light and shine it. You and I have people all around us who are in darkness, and they're looking for just a little bit of light. Just a little bit. A little bit, and I'm going to go ahead and say this, a little bit of hope that's not political hope. Political hope is roller coaster hope. But the hope that's in Jesus Christ is eternal hope. And it's up to you to be the light and to be the salt. Not so in your face and not so briny, but the exact balance that God wants you to have. Would you bow your heads for You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.